Today, products need to have flexibility to adapt to change in marketplace and technology landscape, and of course, the user. Victoria, how has the product delivery landscape changed since you started your career? Yeah, I think you've um, you very much kind of uh, already hit the nail on the head with your with your introduction there. So, you know, in the last ten years that I've been in the industry, we've noticed more and more the need to adapt to change in the marketplace, to adapt to the ever-changing habits of our customers. And we no longer want to work in these very long, bloated, phased delivery projects where we start discovery work and we spend a lot of time perfecting our design and really getting into lots of detail around potentially what we might start working on in six months, a year, two years' time. And we want to be able to start building products, working together with other specialists to craft beautiful products quickly and get them to the market in a timely fashion and be able to like learn from what we're building and learn um, from the user how they feel about what we're building, how they interact with their products and really learn um, how to improve our products as we go. We don't want to necessarily think that, you know, we had all the answers, you know, last January sometime. And we're now about to start building them and then get them out. We want our products in the user's hands and we want to start learning to improve our products every time we release. Brilliant. Welcome to the Knowledge Institute podcast, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design and future work. And in line with future work, this topic today is about agile product delivery. The world has changed, the market has changed because of COVID-19 coronavirus issues that we are facing. We have been in this lockdown for last 60 plus days. Uh, also, clients are looking for digitization at speed. They're looking for radical ways of delivering products and services. Uh, they're looking for employee and people experience. And we're going to dig deep into these topics and talk about how the clients can become more agile. The listeners who are listening to this podcast can learn from the ways we are looking at working as well. My name is Anand Verma. I'm the European Head of Digital Services for Emphasis and founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics. I'm so happy to be joined by one of my favorite, favorite people at Brilliant Basics, Victoria Payne, who's uh, a scrum master at uh, BB and also recently uh, taken a bigger role, which is the agile coach at Brilliant Basics. Victoria, thanks for joining us. You know, Victoria, just before we kind of get started on the topic of um, agile product delivery, which is very timely topic actually, you know, the listeners would love to know a little bit about your backstory. You know, how did you get to where you are right now? And also, you know, some of the bits about your background, where you grew up and all that kind of stuff. Well, I've actually been in the industry quite a long time and I'm not going to lie. I haven't been this agile in this, <laughs> had this mindset for, for the whole time. I, I worked in these, this very different sort of traditional product delivery world. This is where we we really delayed our delivery because for the strive of perfection. So we wanted everything to be very thought out. We wrote detailed specification documents, 100, 200 pages thick. We made wireframes. We delivered lots and lots of specifications and, and detail. And we wanted to do a lot of discovery. But we, on the, on the pursuit of perfection, we really delayed our, our release to market. I mean, I'm pretty sure early in my career, I worked on a lot of things that never, ever ended up really seeing the light of day, you know, and it was, a, you know, it was quite a sad sort of scenario to be in. 
and I would put all these project plans together. I was actually a project manager back in the day. Um, we put together all these detailed project plans about where we predicted we needed to go and what we wanted to build exactly. And we, we stuck to these or we attempted to stuck to these. But, you know, we noticed straight away that these plans that we were producing went out of date the second we pressed print on our um, MS project Gantt chart or whatever we were using at the time. And, you know, we couldn't stay on track. We would always come up against a complexity that we hadn't thought about or a learning or something that would really change our, our environment of, what, of the products we are creating. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't work it out. I was very much kind of, you know, I looked at other project managers who used what I would call like the, the stick over the carrot to try and get their employees working quickly to get things delivered. And we found that um, that put the pressure. Maybe you did get delivered projects. Maybe you did. But what did you get? You got a lot of people cutting corners, potentially not producing the right thing. And it took me a while to, I heard about this agile concept. And I thought, yeah, well, what is this? And I, I never really truly got it for quite some time. It, it suddenly occurred to me, an epiphany one day, that, you know, oh, okay, I get it. And I'll talk to you a little bit more today about what that meant and what that journey was. But um, yeah, that's kind of my background. But I haven't really spoken to you about where I grew up and where I came from. Yeah, where you're from and, you know, your love for, you know, at least I know that love Indian food and Indian culture as well. I was convinced that maybe there was some sort of Indian background. I love Indian culture. I have a lot of friends and family who are from India, and I just assumed for a long time that I was potentially part Indian. Um, I did a DNA test recently, found out I'm really not. But yeah, I actually, I grew up in the, in the West Country, down near Bath. Very idyllic, very beautiful, probably somewhere I'd love to be in self-isolation right now. But I moved to London, to the big city, when I went to university, I studied broadcast operations, actually, in production and did a, a new media subject. <laughs> and I'm laughing. You can't remember. I can see you laughing. I love these stories, these journeys, right? And it's so exciting. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was actually quite, I was more into video editing at the time than digital products. Um, but I always had like a penchant for both. Um, yeah, so I actually ended up working actually worked client side almost as you would call it so I worked at a, a global travel operation company and I was basically their content editor their CMS content creator I was their junior designer their junior developer <laughs> I did everything basically um, apart from the big back-end CMS delivery so and then I just sort of I moved to a digital agency and I've been at a, uh, quite a few different digital agencies over the years and each time, kind of, as I mentioned before, trying to sort of work out how, what the magic is for great product delivery. And each time getting a little bit closer and closer. And now I feel like, you know, we're finally at this point where we get it. We know what we need to do. And we, we want to deliver great products for ourselves and for our clients. That's brilliant. And, you know, I think that's kind of sets the scene nicely for the next uh, topic or the question, uh, Vic. You know, we talk a lot about this kind of definition of T-shaped people at Brilliant Basics, right? And, you know, hybrid uh, skill sets, also cross-functional skill sets, cross-functional teams. And that's one of the core things for making something far more agile than having this kind of siloed approach of, of skill sets, siloed approach of department and working. I think it's quite nice to hear that, you know, your career has been a story of learning new things and adapting and adopting and all this kind of great stuff. Which brings me to the point that I would love to hear from you about 
you know, what is the value of a cross-functional team, right? What does this mean for you in terms of your approach, your clients, your teams, and, you know, all those kind of good stuff? This is really one of the things that is heart of Agile. I'm not going to go through and tell you all the Agile values and um, principles. They're easy to know. Most of us all know them. But it's that one about individual individuals' interactions over processes. So as we talked a little bit before about the more traditional product life cycles and project building, we talked about these big phased approaches. This would be where you'd often have, often have a lot of like different skilled designers early on or strategists or you'd have a UX phase and then a UI phase and then a development phase and then a test phase and then a UAT phase and then a testing of the test phase and then realizing we haven't got quite the product we designed ages ago and then retesting it and then redoing it and another change request here, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, what we were missing, one of the biggest things you're missing in that idea is the collaborative side of product development. We work in teams where we pull in every skill set needed to create a product from start to finish. And we actually work in small increments where these teams that have all these different skill sets We'll work together to produce small product increments that are potentially shippable to the public. And what does that mean? Why is that important? Why don't we want to spend a lot of time researching it, doing it? And we've talked about change and the adaptions to change. But also, we also don't realize about how good having all these amazing skill sets together as like a meeting of brains to produce the quality of design or work that we need. You know, a designer or a UX specialist or whatever specialism you have, your work isn't done the second you deliver your wireframe or the second you've, you know, done a nice presentation of a future idea of a design or, you know, made a great document. You're really, all the work that you're doing is in place to eventually feed that knowledge into the person who's going to be crafting that with you. Um, And the idea that you can design something and then step away and move on to the next thing you miss the magic of what a good product team can do together. It doesn't mean to say you have each person with a different discipline. You know, we talk about T-shape because it's real. Like, I don't want someone to come in and tell me, uh, join my product team and tell me, hi, I'm a UX designer. I design wireframes. Goodbye. That's what I'll do. It's like, no, the, you know, you're, we need your brains and your power to help us with our product management, to help us think strategically about how to engage with our users to to sit down with the developers and help them understand, you know, how to craft something and why they're crafting it. And to even just sometimes craft together, you know, when you actually get the product in your hands and you, you have made an assumption, you know, back six months ago, when you're actually building it, maybe your assumption could have learned a lot more by actually working with the developer, looking, looking at what the latest technology is doing and actually crafting together. So it's about that speed, but it's also about that, you know, that cross-functional team. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of paraphrase that a little bit, I think what you're saying is cross-functional teams are much more strategically aligned to the vision of the product. And also it's in a positive way, it also gives you the speed to release things in an iterative basis to the public, get the feedback, iterate again, right? And I think it must be really rewarding experience for the team to learn new skills as well. I spoke to one of your colleagues the other day as part of our buddy program. And she was like this kind of yearning for new knowledge. She was a QA manager. Now she's moved into business analysis. Now she wants to learn about strategy. So I think it's good for people growth, great for client. And, you know, you're making some strategic decisions, right? Vic, you know, this won't be successful 
without kind of management playing the role and coming on the journey uh, as well, right? And and we've seen the success that you and your team have created on one of the clients that you focus on. You know, there has to be a role for management in kind of adapting to this change, right? And adopting this new ways of working. Uh, any views from you in terms of how to kind of take people on the on the journey? And I think, I, I guess, you know, that kind of blends into my next question as well the role that you play as well, right? In terms of, you know, taking management on the journey, but also the role you play for the team and uh, for, for the client. Basically, what we, when we talk about management, it has that really negative connotation of somebody, you know, micromanaging, commanding and controlling things. And maybe in traditional um, product delivery, you know, there were a lot of people making a lot of decisions who were quite far away from the actual detail of the domain and the product. And they were sort of guiding and telling making those decisions, but potentially not based on a lot of knowledge. The, the roles of great managers today and the great managers that I've been lucky enough to uh, work with at BB is the, the managers which are leaders, the managers which come forward to lead people. And by leading, I mean they're mentoring and they're coaching, maybe a skill set, maybe, you know, uh, uh, a way of doing things. We have an amazing uh, leader in one of the products that um, we have at BB and he he is someone that people can go to to you know seek advice or get some knowledge from but you know ultimately the people closest to the problem are the ones making the final decisions the best thing that leaders and managers can do and this is the most important thing is creating really great environments that promote transparency and collaboration for their teams i think what you're saying is you know spot on managers managing versus leading is what makes the huge difference, right? And I think especially in the agile product management, in terms of iterative way of releasing product, managers have a far bigger role to play than try to micromanage a team, right? That's because you're, you're kind of, the trust part is a big you know, aspect of this, isn't it? It's the biggest aspect. So to have really quick moving teams, you need to be confident to surface any impediments or issues that you have. So we want people to, you know, not sit on any issues that they have. They want to have the confidence and the courage to rely on team members and rely on people that they look up to, to help them with their issues. We talk, um, we talk a lot about organizational impediments in Agile. And these are some of the decisions or top-down usually decisions which could potentially impede the progress of a team. You know, at the moment, a big uh, impediment that we're dealing with is obviously is COVID-19. That's, <laughs> that's one of my large impediments that I've obviously takes a lot of focus at the moment because you're trying to build these really great environments where teams can collaborate, trust each other, move quickly. And, you know, when something disrupts the team or, you know, moves the equilibrium off track, you'll actually end up with this scenario where you ruin the, the creative environment that people are working in. They're unable to achieve what they need to. They maybe have some fear or some worry about a big change happening and it distracts them from their sprint goals or their, their product goals. And what great managers do is we all work together. Usually in a little bit, we, we talk about trust and transparency, but we, we work in a way so that a lot of noise doesn't hit the team unnecessarily. You know, they don't want to know about our, our financial discussions and all this, all the really kind of boring things that might, you know, that potentially could worry them. But we want to be open and transparent when things are really going to impact the team and we need to prepare. Yeah, financial is important, but, you know, it's not for everyone, right? I think it's about releasing the information to add value is far more important for the team than trying to tell them everything at every point. 
And, you know, the other thing that when we had Analor on the podcast a while back when the offices were open and before the COVID-19, she talked a lot about, and she's, she was your client, right, at, at, uh, at Telenet. We talked a lot about, you know, like the trust part, right? And my, my question to you, because we had the story from her side in terms of the trust, right? The story is it's not easy to build trust with a client who are ready to give you ability to operate in an iterative, agile environment. And I would love for you to talk about, you know, how did you actually build this trust over the period of last two and a half years? You know, it didn't happen overnight, right? It's a lot of hard work, a lot of education that's gone into this. Uh, so, you know, if you can cite some examples of how we did it, it will be really beneficial for, uh, for our listeners. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so we talk about trust a lot and we talk about the transparency. But yeah, what does that really mean? So, you know, we're working in a world where we have this concept of client and vendor. So you're the client, I'm the vendor. I have to do everything perfectly before I show you anything, before I, before I collaborate with you. When you're working in product delivery, you don't have time, you don't have the option to be able to do that. What you want to do is you want to build that openness and transparency so that everyone is focused on trying to do the best to get the product where it needs to be. So, you know, my job as an agile coach or a scrum master is to essentially break down those walls between the client and the vendor, so to speak, and have that kind of one team mentality. So, you know, we look at the most successful product teams. They have a mix of people with the domain knowledge from the client side, as we speak. They have a mixture of the people with the skill sets that we need. And they have a product owner from the client that can ultimately make decisions and, you know, with the information from everyone around them, make those ultimate decisions. And that, to do that, you need to build trust and transparency. And to do that, you need to be honest. So I always adopt an extreme honesty policy with clients. And so far, it's never, ever let me down to the extent that, you know, we want, we're not going to talk about, you know, how much margin anyone's making or anything like that. We're going to tell you problems when they arise. We're not going to dance over them. We're not going to put like a, a veil of um, loveliness for something that's, you know, that's tough that we need to deal with because we want to make sure that everyone's aware and acting the best they can to deal with the problems. Problems come, change comes. You get like, you know, a, a curveball every now and again. But to try and gloss over it, to just to, to, to make yourselves look good is the, what we just can't be doing in this day and age. So, you know, I've had scenarios where I've had... Um, a very awkward developer, um, you know, up, down tools and walk out of an a office because they didn't like an environment that we're in. And, you know, they weren't potentially a very good team player. However, you know, in a, in a traditional scenario, you might try and cover that up and be like, oh, no, we've got someone very important leaving the team. We need to cover this up. But what we really want to do is we actually want to go, hold on a minute. This is what's happening. This is, you know, we can't, we couldn't have done anything about it. We haven't been able to do anything to prevent this, but it's happened. And what we want to do is work together with you. And this is our solution. And these are the steps we're going to take to improve. We talk about the, the main key is continual improvement for Agile. Like we're flexible, we're adaptable, but we're always looking at how to improve and better ourselves. Victoria, thank you for that. Uh, stay with us, our listeners. Uh, once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about product delivery in an agile way. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Victoria Payne, Scrum Master and Agile Coach at Brilliant Basics. Uh, Victoria, we're going to talk about failure a little bit, and we see a lot of agile, fragile, the many terms used to define agile project. Uh, we see a lot of failed 
agile with, you know, I'm kind of making double quotes, uh, agile projects failing. What's, what's really happening here from your perspective? For me, so sometimes agile can be a double-edged sword because, you know, if you really truly look at what agile is, it's obviously, it's more of a mindset and a way of working rather than a set of rules that you need to follow, where a lot of people will thinly veil very sort of old-fashioned and traditional project management ways of working by using, like littering their products and their projects with agile terminologies, like, oh, we're working in sprints, so we're agile. Oh, we have a stand-up, so we're agile. And you're like, that's fine. Like, you know, you're working towards, you're thinking, you don't want to bash these people down and say, you know, you might think you're working in an agile fashion but you know you've taken six months for your design scrum team to then produce six months more work for the development team they're actually very very thinly veiling the 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 old sort of bloated heavy um, ways of working of yesteryear they're not looking at continual improvement they're not looking what what you do with agile is you start with a light framework you know sometimes we choose scrum at bb i mean Sometimes we look at more of a Kanban mode. We have lots of different sort of very light kind of frameworks that we use. But what they're doing is that they're basically helping you surface issues as soon as possible by giving you processes that help you inspect and adapt where you're going uh, and then obviously make decisions to improve in the future. But to me, it's like sometimes a word agile that gets overused to thinly veil bad product practices. So these are practices where we have too many requirements frozen up front, really long, very costly design phases that like limit the possibility of, you know, emergent design based learnings and monitoring of users and their behaviors to adapt and change in the marketplace. We are just looking at these big waterfall projects. We have scrum masters that get placed on projects who are our mini command and control. You know, they're asking their teams to work quickly, work to the deadline that they've made. Um, and what happens here? Well, you know, you lose quality. You have issues with quality. When when people are feeling under pressure, they tend to tr- the cut corners. They tend to build what we call debt into their products, you know, whether it's design debt, whether it's technical debt. You know, there's a fear that we need to do something by a certain date, regardless of what we learn, regardless of the complexities we face. And that's the sign of success or failure when actually we're very wrong. The idea is that the value that we're adding to our product is what's important. We need to prioritize what we think is the most important at the time based on our learnings. And we need to always adapt our priorities based on what we learn as we go. So if you're working in a project where you find yourself that you're in a seven, eight month design phase before you've even started to pick up a product and you know, start working on a product, then you, you're in one of these scenarios that we call potentially fragile. <laughs> Even like um, from BB and Infosys perspective, we see clients saying, hey, we want to run this as an agile project, but all the kind of manifesto of agile is kind of missing. And you talk about trust, you talk about transparency. A lot of clients are not ready for it. They are, you know, from their procurement from their leaders, they're under pressure to deliver certain things within a certain date. And they want all the requirements to be delivered within that date, not knowing which is the most valuable thing versus non-valuable thing, right? But I think with COVID-19 and with the change in environment, when with the radical shift in terms of innovation and at speed, I think the only way to kind of get this right, in my view, my personal view, is to focus on what is the most valuable thing. And for that to happen, 
you know, it's about just choosing your priorities really well together and being aligned to the strategy and transparency body you talked about. Uh, I'm going to shift gear a little bit, Vic, and, you know, we're going to talk about your experience of dealing with one of the largest uh, telecommunications company in Belgium, you know, and of course we have had uh, Anna Laura on the podcast, but I think just from Infosys BB perspective, what do you think some of the major obstacles clients are facing, companies are facing when it comes to product delivery? One of the biggest obstacles that they face is the idea that a lot of people have in their heads about what am I going to get and when am I going to get it? Like battling your inner question to what am I going to put in my contract? What do I get from you? Like, what are you, what are you telling me? If you're not telling me that you're going to give me the X, Y, Z, PQR feature, then how do I know that like we are making the right decision um, to be agile? And in my mind, when I get those questions, I want to ask like, why, why do you feel that it's important to know exactly what you're getting in six months time? What opportunities are you missing by defining that so far in advance? If you're spending a lot of time looking at lines in a contract and whether you've delivered this feature and this feature two years later, you've missed so many opportunities that when your product hits the market, what is it? You know, does it even, is it even relevant in today's market? Our consumption and our user trends are changing so much. Like, is it relevant anymore? If you feel like, oh, my product, my project is successful because I ticked these boxes that my manager asked me to tick and I've got the products that I said I wanted back then, I feel it's successful, then, you know, that's a very sad situation to be in. And, you know, do we really want to be working on these kind of products? Uh, in my mind, the answer is no. We want to produce the best products possible. And you can't do that if you don't change to the environment that we're in today. Yeah, and we've seen that across at least a few clients. And, and in terms of the agile maturity of our clients and some of the companies that we work with, it depends on how they're embracing this change internally, right? How they're organizing their team members, what does cross-discipline really mean for them? It requires a rewiring of organization supported by the CEO and the leadership team, which allows companies to become agile. Again, it goes back to the point that you're mentioning around trust, transparency, and the value creation. And the you know, contrarian kind of stance to this is, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about product delivery, as you're alluding to as well. And I think our listeners will be delighted to hear from you, you know, what are some of the recommendations? So let's say, you know, you meet a CEO of a company in the lift and, you know, you want to say, and he say, hey, Vic, you know, what do you do? And you said, I'm, I'm an agile coach at Brilliant Basics. Um, he said, tell me more. Tell me more what I should be thinking about. Tell me more what I should be doing. Uh, so like some recommendations from your side will be really valuable. So I think we've touched on a lot of the kind of the environments that we want to create for our teams. I could talk again about, you know, the relevance of adapting to change in the marketplace and the change to user behaviors. But also we've got to think about like our companies and our teams. We are working on products where we start with a very what we call immature team. We start with a brand new team. We have, as you mentioned before, all different levels of understanding of what makes a good product team, you know, around the trust and the transparency and the collaboration. I think it's really important that CEOs look to recognize that, you know, happy, motivated individuals that are passionate about the products they're delivering are going to produce great products. It's a real no brainer in my eyes. Like, you know, why do, do you think that, um, you know, shouting at a team to get something brilliant 
created is going to produce this good product. Has it ever worked? Does it ever work? No, it doesn't ever work. We really have teams of skilled individuals, and that's what's really important. We don't want to look at the outdated factory modeling where you throw anyone that seems to hit to, you know, on paper, you know, fulfill a need that we have, you know, 70 developers, 20 UX designers, et cetera, et cetera. We're looking at these skilled individuals that can really add value to your teams. And we want companies that nurture these people and want to grow these people and what you want to put them in your, your specialist teams working on these great products. And CEOs, CEOs, you know, that really recognize the importance of specialism and skill to work quickly and make great products. That's, that's the key to me. Absolutely. I think you're just going to add to that, just being a CEO for Billion Basics uh, and working very closely with you. I also think that we have to change our own ways of working, right? So we are looking at what has gone really well with one or two projects or products. How do we kind of take the best of that and start to apply that within Billion Basics ecosystem? And it is a journey of evolution, right? Because I always said that Brilliant Basics is a product. We have to evolve. And to evolve, you have to take people on that journey. And, you know, you're working closely with me and some of the team members in terms of how does Brilliant Basics look at the ways of approaching agile product delivery by themselves? And some clients, some companies in our ecosystem will be ahead of the curve. Other clients might not be. But what we have realized is unless we start to kind of practice what we preach, we cannot actually make it happen for our clients, our brands, our company, right? So, yeah, I don't know if you want to add a few insights in terms of what you're doing with regards to taking brilliant basics on this journey. Yeah, completely, completely very valid. What what we need to think about is, you know, it's very disruptive, um, essentially, to change your way of working and your mindset. And it's a process, as you have talked about you know, adopting these good practices and these good ways of working and thinking. It's not, it's not easy. And you will get people who are too scared to sort of challenge the status quo. They're too nervous to change. You know, it's got that kind of, you know, this is what I've always been doing. This is how we've always done it. So this is what I do. And, you know, these people are on their own journey as well. They haven't yet realized or come to the, you know, the epiphany almost of what it means to move quickly, be flexible and always strive for continual improvement you know with every every product or project you start off you do end up with that um with so many people and you know working having great agile coaches and scrum masters and team members that can work with them and build that trust and collaboration with them can actually show like the best way forward adopting new practices is scary but you know if you don't change what do you do if you don't change you die that's really the the sentiment we need to do we can't be you know stuck in the dark ages we need to be you know progressive i agree and i agree with you change is the only constant um you know as you're leading to as well so victoria thank you so much for talking about agile product delivery uh i'm going to make a little bit of a fun thing now around what is your favorite book that you've read or you want to talk about or you know you might be currently reading and also why so okay I don't, it's a bit of an embarrassing one, but um, my favorite book is uh, Stephen King's It. <laughs> I, uh, I love the colloquial writing style of Stephen King. I think he's absolutely excellent and he really takes you on a journey when you're listening, you're reading. I, I say listening, I, I do a lot of Audible now. I actually seem to do more, uh, listen to more Audible um, books than I read now. Um, 
a lot of things get brought to life um, when you're listening. No, I, and I can see on Zoom as well that uh, there are books behind you. And the shoom is kind of clearly in a shining through, which, you know, and because you're a food lover uh, and we've talked a lot about restaurants and one of my favorite restaurants is the shoom uh, without kind of promoting the shoom on this podcast, but it's a fantastic book. It's not sponsored. And uh, the podcast, uh, you know, uh, to the listeners, I want to mention that a lot of people have taken books like the shoom. Uh, to their kitchens and they're creating and crafting you know from dishum chai i made dishum chai last week uh for my uh my family my mother-in-law so i think there's a lot of that is happening and i think you know the clearly i can see that and just reminded me that you know we should uh, we should mention that yeah we're in my sort of kitchen so this is all my cookery books i have a lot you know i like to invent recipes so i mostly use them for inspiration sometimes i learn from friends with who have different skill sets and different cuisines so I often I, I'm very good at following recipes there but I just use them a lot for inspiration I think Dishoom is a great one it's something for Christmas I've got um Asma Khan's Indian Kitchen um and yeah lots of Mira Soda books um so lots of Maja Jaffrey I have like you know a wide range of uh, cookery books amazing how can people find you online yes I'm on LinkedIn it's just Victoria Payne on LinkedIn. You'll find me under Agile Coach. Actually, there's, there's a great community of people who really love Agile product delivery. That uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect to all these people. So definitely thinking up on there. Great. Thank you so much. And also you can find the details on our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Victoria, delighted to have you on the podcast and thank you for your valuable time and a very interesting and timely discussions as well. Everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design and future work. Today's topic was Agile Product Delivery with my guest, Victoria Payne. Thank you to our lovely producer, Yulia Debari and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics teams. Until next time, Keep learning and keep sharing and stay safe.